Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. On today's study, we are continuing in our look at the book of Romans. See, I've made a little bitty thing right there that says study through Romans. We might make it prettier in future weeks to come. <laughs> We'd like to thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Uh, we are in Romans chapter 1, and last week we considered the first, um, I think, 17 verses uh, several things there, mainly Paul expressing his desire to to travel to Rome, to visit with the, the saints in Rome, and um, he wants to go and, and take gifts to them, be able to impart gifts, and we talked some about what those gifts might or might not have been, and here in a little bit, we will continue with verse 18 of our study, uh, but this is, for those who are keeping track, episode number 284. Mr. Paul, if you would take a moment and let everyone know how they can participate in today's study. I'll be happy to do that. <clears throat> as we look at uh, all the social media platforms that we use, such as YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, uh, you can go to uh, and look for Truth Factor Live. Truth Factor Live would be what you're looking for. Also, you can go to the truthfactor.com page and look at the live viewing page. Uh, probably one of the best ways to participate is to go to the YouTube page and look for Truth Factor Live, and that way we can introduce your chats very easily. But you can also comment on the Facebook page, and we can introduce your comments there. You may want to send a question to all of us. That can be sent to questions at truthfactor.com, questions at truthfactor.com, or any one of us individually, such as Paul at truthfactor.com, or John, or Brian, or Mike, or Tom, or Shelton. All righty. Thank you, Mr. Paul. I appreciate that. Um, like I said, we're in Romans chapter 1, and we left off last week right around verse 18. Um, one thing I wanted to point out real quick, we, we talked about Paul's desire to go to Rome. To our knowledge, he has not yet been to Rome. And um, this, they say that they Paul wrote this when he was on his third journey, and he was spending three months, uh, the winter months, in Corinth. And that's when they speculated he wrote this. Paul will uh, finish his journey home to Jerusalem, and then some events will begin to unfold, and Paul will be brought up on trial. He will appeal to Caesar, and he will travel to Rome. And in Acts 28, that brings the end of, um, of Acts to a close. And that may be the first time that we have the record of Paul actually visiting with the saints there in Rome. Like I said, maybe we don't know for certain, but I think it'd be a reasonable guess to, to kind of to kind of take that position there. Um, but what was interesting about the first part of this study is the Apostle Paul expresses so greatly his desire to be with them. Um, he does say that, as a matter of fact, let me bring this up here for you to see at home. He does say there within the text that he wants to be able to impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. He goes on to say, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Uh, it's not so much that he wants to start a congregation. There apparently is already one there, but he wants to help strengthen them. So that's a very, very important point. Give them, help them to have the continuing necessary tools to preach the word of God. And then we talked last week about verses 16 and 17. Um, we have it divided up for us because of the book, chapter, and verse division. When Paul wrote it, it wasn't a division uh, part there. He was explaining why he desired to preach the gospel of Christ, it being the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also for the Greek. And by the way, did I mention that many of the readers in Rome would have been Greek? And Paul is going to spend part of his time talking about the righteousness of God, how it could be upon both the Jews as well as the Gentiles or the Greek. And he says, therefore, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we did have some discussion on that. If you missed our study, once we're done, click on, if you go to truthfactor.com, click on archives, you will see our YouTube um, playlists. And matter of fact, you can go ahead after our study. It'll take me a couple hours to get it all processed. Go ahead and watch last week's study if you missed it and you want to see what we said about the first part there. All right. So let's pick up with verse 18. There seems to be a definite contrast here 
um, between the righteous and the unrighteous, the faithful and the unfaithful, the Gentiles um, who were lost in sin and what God has done and, and, and everything that happened with that. So for our reading, beginning there, and let's see, you, you've broken it up some for us, Brian? Yeah, you sure did. Paul, since you weren't here last week, if you would, let's go ahead and consider 18 through 23, if you would. Certainly. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. All righty. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate you reading that. Now, when we look back at this particular section of Romans chapter 1, there is a particular question we would like to share with the chat room and give you a few minutes to kind of contemplate it. And then before we move on from the section, we will, we will step back to that. And uh, Brian, do we have that ready for me to bring up? We sure do. Okay. So here's the question. In verse 18, Paul writes, Unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In the context of verses 18 through 23, what truth could they be suppressing? You know, what truth there is Paul referring to that he says they were suppressing? All right. Paul, since you did our reading for you, let me kind of uh, discuss this next point here with you. Certainly. In verse 20 of our text, um, as we read just a moment ago, he talks about, for, the, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Um, in that statement there, what are your thoughts on his 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 charge against them? Well, it seems that uh, there is a responsibility of every person to recognize that there is a God by looking at creation. The Old Testament makes this uh, argument several times, uh, or makes this explanation several times. The heavens declare the handiwork of God. Uh, and things such as that as we look in the Psalms. And so I think that's the the idea that he's he's talking about. And so someone, uh, it seems, that would make the declaration that there is no God or they don't recognize or, or don't seek out uh, God, that they have a responsibility uh, in that, that they bear a responsibility in that. And so you might, uh, in addition to that, take a look at uh, one thing I, I have struggled with here a little bit is even his eternal power in Godhead. Uh, eternal power, I get that that the uh, from the very beginning, God has shown his his uh, immense power, uh, an almighty God. His Godhead may be referring to his authority uh, over all things, that by his word, all things are sustained and continue uh, as they did from the beginning. I'd be happy to hear what some other guys have to say today on that. Well, I think you're right on the explanation of the of the way that he uses the term Godhead because it just simply looking at nature, I don't believe reveals enough for us to comprehend the true eternal existence of God. But saying it refers to his, the authority, I think that would that'd be spot on. Um, and and when you look at how great the creation is, and, and we we've talked a lot about this how the sheer fact of how things work, life comes into being, and so forth and so on, to deny that there's not some greater being behind all that, to me, just seems incomprehensible. 
Well, John, as you think about that, I would agree with you that I don't believe that you would necessarily know when we think of Godhead, we think of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I don't think you would necessarily be able to identify those things, but you would be able to identify his deity, uh, that yeah. he is a great, a great authoritative God. Yeah. Um, let me ask uh, Tom this since um, kind of we're on the subject here. Let me get rid of that and bring Thomas up to the forefront there. Tom, do you think that um, part of what he's referencing here could be how God dealt with not only his own people, but foreign nations in the past? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, I've got all kinds of thoughts on this verse. Uh, you know, dealing with the idea of Godhead as it's used here, uh, notice he says his eternal power and Godhead, and then there's things that demonstrate his power. As to his Godhead, I'd go back to the beginning of the verse where he said, since the beginning of the world, uh, God has done numerous things to manifest his interaction with the world. Miracles, uh, recorded miracles. Remember, as Paul is writing this, miracles are happening. And uh, there are numerous ways that he's established his authority, you know, uh, what he did for Israel. Uh, and uh, uh, if you're talking to Jews who are reading this letter and so on, uh, there was a, there was just a massive history. And so I think that that would be associated with this. You know, uh, how many people looked at the power of God and denied it anyways? Uh, you know, uh, calling Jesus, he's casting out demons by the name of the devil and various things like that. So that's one of the ways that I would look at the idea of, of Godhead, you know, in, in this particular verse. And and. And then on the other side of that, there's just so many things, uh, uh, you know, you all know that I'm teaching evidences and so on. And, and if I can just mention, and I'm not going to go into details, we, that's not the purpose of this, of this study today. But I mean, the, the things that would come to my mind where we look at this world and we see that there is a God, I, I would include in that uh, 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 the idea of uh, irreducible complexity, which which means that there are systems where all the parts are already in place and you wouldn't have a system without one of those parts there. Uh, and uh, 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 that's something that evolution or a naturalism cannot explain. Uh, as we learn more and more about DNA and, and you find that it is a system that's associated with information, uh, program, uh, something, uh, information comes as a result of somebody imparting that information. You've got the ideal placement of this world, the fact that we're in the exact right place in the solar system, universe, and everything, and all the conditions are just right for this life to for this universe to sustain life. Uh, you've got similarities called homology, and, and that's just the idea of, uh, of we've got all these things about various creatures that relate to each other and so on. And, and while evolutionists say that's proof of evolution, I say it's proof of um, an intelligent designer. And finally, uh, what you might describe as the idea of uh, our, our consciousness, you know, all these philosophical things, the fact that we're able to have this discussion, the fact that man has been able to create this format through which we can communicate the way that we do. Evil or uh, no God or no intelligent designer doesn't explain that. So I think there's so much in this verse that when people think about these things to deny that there is a God, it, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's an ostrich burying its head in the sand. All right. Anyway, that's my con conclusion. All right, Brian, do you have any thoughts on it, sir? Nothing that good for sure. But uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, you know, I, I, I would throw out the idea. I, I agree that I ponder about the meaning of the concept of Godhead. And the only thing I can think of, because the first thing I think of is kind of like Paul said, I think of the Godhead as being God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. So the only way I would say that that manifests itself in nature is that all all elements are manifested in three forms, all liquid or gas. I don't think necessarily that's what he means, but it is a possibility that uh, there is a there is a sense where matter manifests itself in three states and yet retains the same, uh, you know, the same composition whatever it is, so that possibility there. I, I would almost think it might be a stronger case to be made that that, that Godhead nature is manifested in, in men 
in the sense that even even the atheist can conceive of an idea that they're not merely flesh. Well, they'll claim that, but the idea that we're both a, a, a flesh and, and a spirit or a soul, you know, that, that we might have a dualistic or uh, trinistic nature, I think is something that even people themselves can see. So maybe there's that sense where that might be the case too. All right. Um, before we before we go any further, Brian, I'm going to ask you about this. Sorry, guys, if I just um, threw the Bible verse all up over Brian's face there. Um, the English Standard Version in verse 20 uses a little bit different terminology. Let me um, bring <coughs> this up here. And notice here, instead of saying Godhead, it says there... Um, divine nature divine nature in the esv instead of godhead now brian well, what i find very intriguing about this is and i think this is what's going to convict these men is why would there be a drive within these men to worship something greater than themselves if they did not see and acknowledge some level of presence of that being I mean, you think about it, they've worshipped God, not God, they've worshipped gods for years. Why? You know, um, to, to me, the, the fact that they have the drive to worship something greater than them says they see that something greater than them exists, if that makes sense there. Um, and one more thing, kind of what Tom was, Tom was talking about, and I'll bring Tom back up here real quick. Um, I... I understand the, the, the various philosophical arguments you presented, and they're great for our studies today. I'm not 100% certain that, that Paul had all those things in mind when he, when he talked about them seeing his invisible uh, attributes in, in, the, in the world around him, around them, being clearly perceived. Does that make sense? Well, well uh, yeah, uh, I for guess them. you say from this, yeah, well, from the standpoint of them pointing to the various attributes that are associated with who God is. Yeah. But, 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 but the bottom line is, uh, you know, the point that is being made in all of this is you can look at the world and you can see that there is a God. And that to me promotes a reason to investigate it further and, and answer the question, who is God? And, and, and by the way, all those things that I mentioned, and, and if you look at, if you engage in a discussion with somebody about intelligent design, and that's the term that is used, you can establish that there is a God, but you still haven't established who that God is. Yeah, that's and, right. And, yeah. and and that's where you get into the idea of Godhead or, or the divine nature of God and so on. The things that God has done historically, as well as even as this was being written and various other things, that show us who he is and why we should accept him and and not the idols that he talks about in this text yeah yeah that's true what what i find interesting as, as you look through this it's it's like he's going all the way back to the very beginning and and you know not just the gentiles of the day but going all the way back to the egyptians when the children of israel were in egypt Going back to um, the people, the Ur of Chaldees, where Abraham came from, you know, go all the way back to the beginning. People have known that God exists because He created all things, and the story was told. But many cultures got away from it, believing in something greater, but said it looks like a man, it looks like an animal, and things like that. Um, and so, it's, it's 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 one of those cases where if a police officer was to come up to you and um, Say, I'm, I'm going to give you a ticket. And you say, why? Because I was speeding? And the officer says, yes. Did you know what the speed limit was? Yes, it was 45. Well, why were you doing 70? Because I wanted to. Well, you've indicted yourself. You know, because you said, I know what the speed limit was. I willingly chose not to abide by it. These people willingly worshipped a God because they saw that there's evidence for a God to exist. But they created it after the fashion of man. And as a result, the hearts were darkened, which brings us up to another thought real quick, unless there's other, any other uh, comments. All right, um, Shelton, you've been mysteriously quiet. I'm kidding. 
Let me ask you a question. Uh, throw about the darkness there, the darkening of the hearts there. Notice there, uh, when when it talks about their hearts being darkened, what happens when our hearts become darkened? Well, what does that what does that mean, Shelton? Well, it says they knew God, but they didn't glorify Him, and they weren't thankful to Him for what uh, for what He had done. And then it says, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So I think all of these things relate uh to each other in in some way and and it, and it is a list they don't have to necessarily relate but what it means is these aren't people who are ignorant to the facts that god exists these aren't people who who are ignorant to the fact that he does work in 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 the lives of men and that he does exist but yet they're people who just simply won't follow him they won't be thankful to him for what he's done their hearts are darkened. Sometimes we use uh, the terminology or the scriptures do of a heart being hardened. Uh, and I think that, that that gets to the to the point that I'm trying to say. When, when somebody's heart becomes darkened, it's not somebody who doesn't know the truth, but it's somebody who won't either accept it as truth or somebody who just simply won't follow them whether they believe it's truth or not. Okay. All right. Paul, would you say that might be something like um, old calloused? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> and I had made a comment in our private chat about that, but I think it is. There, one place says past <clears throat> feeling, yeah. uh, and I think that is, is a reasonable uh, explanation of this, That because it says that they knew God, but it seems like over and over they did not honor him as God. They weren't thankful to him. Uh, they were futile in their speculations, the uh, New American Standard says. And because of all that, uh, then they just uh, became very resistant uh, to faith in God. Yeah. I think it's the same terminology that we hear God use for the Israelites as a stiff necked people. Um, yeah. you know, unwilling to obey, unwilling to do for him what, what he expects. So. What is it? He quotes from Isaiah, you know, they, they have eyes, but they can't see and ears. They're unwilling to hear. And so we now go to the Gentiles kind of that type of hardness there. Well, and, and he's getting and he's getting to that. You know, as we get to the end of this chapter, dealing with the sin of the Gentiles, and then going into the next chapter, not to step on our toes, but going to be dealing with the sins of the Jews, yeah. and uh, and and then ultimately in chapter three, the sin of all people. So, so I think he is. You know, he, he's getting getting to this point that uh, you know maybe they were this way, but you you also were as well. Yeah, that's right. That is right. All right, we're going to have to move on here uh, because of time. Um, just kind of following in your brain the comparison between the wisdom of God and the foolishness of man. Paul does that in what's First Corinthians, chapter one, and maybe chapter three as well, comparing the two there. And Tom's already brought up the we, we had a kind of a question in our own little outline that we use that um, how this might um, how might something like the theory of evolution fit into this description. Of verse 23 and I think Tom has already kind of touched on that with um, you know where people are changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed creeping animals and creepy things instead of acknowledging that God exists and worshiping him they choose to take a theory put forth by a man and run with that and essentially worship that idea that concept so yeah yeah John Yes. You know, a, a, a key point in all of this is to understand uh, if you accept that there is a God, you need to find out who he is and you need to follow him. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for mankind, it's easier to say, well, I don't believe in God or this is my God, as opposed to as opposed to finding yep. the true God and being willing to submit to him. And, that's, and right. that's why we've got so much problem even today. Um, Brian, do me a favor. Look at the chat room real quick and let me know if you think Gregor's comment goes along with answering the question or maybe more pertinent to our current discussion because we can bring it in if so and then we'll bring in grants as in the answer to the question. Okay. I'm not sure if I actually I think Gregor's comment is more abstract. I, I, uh, okay. Gregor, if I misunderstood you, I'm sorry. I well, think, hey, well I'm going to bring in Gregor's comment and then we'll bring up the chat room question and I'll have you to, to bring in the answer to that. And, and maybe this is what Gregor intended as well. 
The people that worship the creation versus creator, these are the ungodly. This is true even of religions religions who follow feelings as power, not God. It's a very good point. Um, the, the, the idea there is many times within the religious community, you'll find individuals fundamentally not truly worshiping God and not abiding by the scriptures, but they worship the feeling that they get, the experience, you know, the, the hype and everything. That's what they end up worshiping. And that may be what he's talking about. Um, but the question that we posed earlier for everyone to consider in our chat room was this. Paul writes unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In the context of verses 18 through 23, what truth could they be suppressing? And Brian, I think we had an answer to that. Yes, we did. Uh, Grant Haynes uh, in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, said the truth in these verses is that is that being suppressed is the power of God as a creator of the universe, something which continues to happen today. So the truth being suppressed is the power of God as creator. That's, I think that's exactly right. I think that is, is exactly right. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump to our next section of our reading. And let's see, Paul, did you, you read last, didn't you? I did. My memory is so short. All right, Mike, would you mind reading for us in Romans chapter 1? Let's consider verses 24 through 28, if you would, please. My pleasure. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one for another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Mike. I appreciate that. You know what? I had my picture up the whole time. Hello, when you were reading. Sorry about that. There's Mike. Anyway. Wave at him, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. So let's look at the next section here. Um, what is interesting about all this is there are three times within this text where we see God gave them up or God gave them over. What we find in the scriptures, or what I should say, what we did not find in the scriptures anywhere, is where God forced someone to worship him. He gave the choice to the angels. He gave the choice to all of the heavenly hosts, I should say. He gave the choice to all of the physical hosts that he created in, in whom he put consciousness and, and a sentience there. And he's not forced anyone to obey. He simply presented the choice there. And his desire is for us to obey. And if we choose not to obey, he will let us do whatever we want to do. That's the idea of giving them up. So in our discussion here, the couple of things I want us to consider real quick, and Mike, since you were reading, I'll kind of throw the, the first question for you. What other passages in the Bible point to um, homosexuality as a depravity? Well, I think primarily of the book of Genesis and the story of Lot, uh, most certainly, that, that speaks to the sin of homosexuality. Here were men of the city that saw the angels as men that they had not experienced, if you will. Lot offers their, his own daughters, and they refuse that. Uh, obviously, homosexuality was the depravity there. I also find in the book of Jude, uh, where the word fornication is tied to the sin of Sodom. And so uh, in our language today, we kind of look at fornication as... Uh, sexual intercourse between those that are not married, but it obviously includes the sin of homosexuality. I like this, the age-old statement that, say, that says that God made Adam and Eve to be husband and wife, not Adam and Steve. 
And I, I, frankly, homosexuality is so repulsive to me, even to think about it, that I, I, I don't understand how man can be with man or woman with woman. It just, it's sickening repulsive to me. By the yeah. same token, there are those who have engaged in this saying, well, that's the way I was born. Well, through the years, I've tried to get a little smarter than what I used to be. Where else did God ever make a human being with the intent of forcefully causing that human being to lose his soul? In other words, if God created an individual to be homosexual, then God created that individual to be eternally lost without choice. That's not God. Yeah. Where they have not liked to retain God in their mind but have rejected God. Now, we, we talked about this a little bit last week off air, and I'm just going to inject it, and then, then I'll let the rest of the panel go here. The nations that God punished in the Old Testament, including Israel, he punished them because they had rejected God. God didn't reject them first. They rejected God. And it's like with Samuel, when they kept calling for a king, Samuel felt that they had rejected Samuel as judge. But God says, oh, no, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. So when Israel and all other nations rejected the God of heaven in favor of natural things or, as we read here, unnatural things, then God had no choice but to give them up to a reprobate mind, as the King James says. Uh, and, and go ahead and let them deprave themselves until they learn the hard way God meant he said. All right. That's a very good point. Um, it, it, is, it, is, it is intriguing when you strip away man's belief in God, what else you strip away as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, um, yeah. God did not create mankind to be without God. Yeah. If he had created us robotically, then God couldn't have been pleased. God wants loving service. Robots can't give that. By the same token, if we fail to acknowledge God as the creator and as the authority, which I, I agree with Paul's earlier statement about the Godhead, meaning authority, I, that's, a, that's a powerful understanding of that. But when mankind rejects that understanding of God, then to what else can he turn for eternal guidance other than that which will take him to eternal hell? Yeah, that's right. It's not within man who walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah you know, 10, 13, 28, yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, Brian, real quick, it, it dawned on me that I failed to throw the chat room question up, so let me present that real quick. That question is, what is the penalty? Or what is penalty of the error of homosexuality mentioned in verse 27? So what is the penalty of the error of homosexuality mentioned in verse 27? And we will come back to that later. And, and I do appreciate Mike's thoughts on that subject. Uh, let's see. I think this is a good one for Paul. Do you think gender identity fits somewhere into this, Paul? Or could <laughs> Gender identity, <clears throat> meaning uh, a, a gender association that's different than the biological one? Yeah, it's, it's not the confusion that you and I would have if we walked down the street, come up behind someone with long hair, and say, is that a man or a woman? We're not talking about that identity. It, it is the idea of some kid who's 10 years old, 20 years old, who was born a man, you know, and all that other stuff that goes with being born a man. So, you know, I think I'm a woman. I really don't feel like I am a man. Or the one who's clearly born a woman saying, I, I really feel like I'm more of a man. You know, it, it's the gender identity confusion thing. Now, point is, this sounds like it's going to be more of an, in the end, an excuse to justify choices. Yeah, this seems to fall into the category of um, things that are against nature yeah. because nature teaches very clearly that a man's a man, a woman's a woman. Uh, I don't doubt that there are some people who have 
stronger temptations with things like this. Uh, and <clears throat> what I have taught them is that uh, they can uh, leave the and abandon the immoral conduct and that they can do exactly what the Bible says, even though this is a temptation for them. Uh, but uh, I do think that this is in that category of uh, nature lays things out pretty clear and some folks would reject that. Yeah. Okay. It's a good point. Good point. All right. Any other thoughts on verses 24 through 28 uh, before we jump back to the chat room question? Y'all have not had a lot of time to really consider that, uh, but we'll, we'll come back to that here in just a second. Any other thoughts though? Just one thought, John, on, on all of that, with whether it be the homosexuality or what you might call, some people would say the sin of gender confusion. Um, and, I, you know, we don't really see a whole lot of gender confusion in the scriptures, um, you know, talked about specifically, like we do see homosexuality talked about specifically. Uh, I, I agree with Paul about this being, you know, categorized in the against nature category of, of this verse. But, you know, being, I guess, maybe the age I am growing up with the people I, I grew up with, I don't know too many that have, that have gone this route, but it seems to be my generation that has introduced a lot of, uh, these these ideas and I'm afraid what it is is it is the it, you know when we when we look at the cause of why all this has happened first of all of course it's been from people not growing up hearing the word of God not having a concern for the way God wants things to be and when you don't have a outline or a, a, a rule book if you will like the scriptures to direct what we know is right and what we know is wrong and we leave it up to man anything is possible and that's why you're seeing somebody who is born a man who thinks they're a woman, but also identifies as a homosexual uh, homosexual. And so you have a man in a relationship with a woman, but he believes that he is a woman. And so you have a lesbian relationship. It gets messy. Uh, and, and this is just a clear sign of, of those without God. And it's easy for me to say, you know, some of the things like like what Mike was talking about. This makes no sense to me because this, this is not it's repulsive to me. I, I can't even think about how a man would be with another man. It grosses me out personally. But I know that, you know, I, I've heard preachers take that stand from the pulpit, uh, publicly proclaim that, and it closes the ears of those who are struggling with, with something like that, who do believe they are homosexual. Sin is sin. You know, fornication is fornication, like Mike mentioned, sexual relations outside of a marriage. We know that a marriage, you know, scripturally cannot take place between a man and a man. So that's the same, in my opinion, as fornication with a male and a female. Um, and we have to open our minds, even if it doesn't make sense to us, to the fact that people are actually out there believing these things. And people, even in the Bible times, had problems with homosexual relations, attraction to the same sex. And we have to realize that even if you are attracted to the same sex, that's a that's a sinful human urge. You know, that's our desires. We have to learn how to deny those. And uh, if it means that maybe that man can't ever be with a woman because he's not attracted to him, uh, that's something he has to decide. Am I going to follow Christ or am I going to give in to my own desires? All right. I think that's a very good point. Um, I just want to add to it. I do recognize that there are going to be cases where based on the way people are raised, there could be a genuine confusion or um, disillusioned or whatever it would be. Um, well, we see it in our elementary schools. You know, my, yeah. my mom works in the office at the elementary school and they've got three or four children at the age of kindergarten to second grade who already believe, you know, they are a different gender yeah. uh, than what they were born into. And I'm sorry. Somebody with that mental capacity at that age, that's being done from the home with the parents. It, it is. And so one day when they come to hopefully learn the truth and some preacher's talking to them, you can't go at it like, well, you're just confused. You know, look at your body, you're a man, look at your body, you're a woman, you know, let's get over this. There may need to be some long-term psychological instructions or, or corrections going on there. And, and you've got some people who are so strongly driven by the sexual desire and the confusion that is caused by the world. Like what you said, if you have a man who, for whatever reason, is not attracted to a woman, and I've known some men who never married. They would never, and I've known some women who've never married. 
You know, it's not they, they didn't like, they hated men. They just didn't have the desire there. But our world kind of says, well, if you don't have a desire for women, then you must be this way, and it's okay to live that way. And and sometimes it's not a willful uh, confusion. It is a confusion that is taught. And that makes it even yeah. harder to say, we need to walk according to God's scriptures. Because now it's not confusion to them, it's truth to them. And yeah. that's what they've grown up realizing is truth. And, and the reason I bring this up is because with the age that this has happened, you know, and, and the kindergartners, second graders affecting that age now, these are people that we would be studying the scriptures with 15 yeah. to 20 years, you know, to 30 years from now. That's and, right. Uh, you know, that puts us as, as preachers or as Christians, those who are trying to teach people the gospel, we have to be keeping this in mind. How am I going to talk to those people when I run into them, you know, from now in the next 15, 20 years? We think it's hard enough trying to teach someone who has been married three or four times because they've lived their life without being, you know, caring about the truth. We're going to have, I think, an even harder time in the next, you know, 25, 30 years. Um, and, and I think you nailed it on the head as the reason why. The reason why is because they've grown up with this being not just confusion, but truth that was taught from, from their parents. So yeah. that's going to make it difficult. All right. Let's see. Appreciate the thoughts. Anyway, on that, I, I talked too long about it. <laughs> no, you're fine. Let's see, Tom, you had a couple of comments, and then uh, I think we've got a comment in the chat room as well. Yeah, I, I was just making the observation that, you know, in dealing with this, uh, uh, Paul gives this list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And it's worthy to note that there's two verses there, or there's two words there, uh, at least like in the New King James, it says homosexuals or, or nor sodomites. And, and what Paul is really doing is he's describing both parties in a homosexual relationship. And, and and I'm just going to leave it at that, as opposed yeah. to getting more crude, if you will, uh, yeah. uh, from that standpoint. And and, uh, 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 and 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 I too have concern because because you know uh, one of the things that Shelton mentioned is you know trying to get with somebody and teach them the need to change. And as you said too, Paul, uh, you know states are making this. Some states are making it illegal to try to attempt to convert somebody back to a heterosexual relationship if they've made homosexual claims or gender confused claims and stuff like that. So, and, and I'm, I'm fearful that we're going to see more of that as, as the Lord's church and, and, and uh, anybody who professes to hold to the moral standard of the Bible, uh, we're, we're going to face some issues with that. Yeah. Um, we had a comment in the chat. Was, was there another thought before I bring that up? All right. Mike, you want to bring in uh, Gregor's comment there? It looks like Gregor is both answering the question and kind of commenting on where we're at, too. So okay. it works for both. And oh, Gregor oh, the... says, gender identity looks to me just the same as denying God by denying the physical reality of your chromosomes, X, uh, YX versus XX. Hence, the rewards are the same, eternal separation from God. All right, good comment. Very, very good comment. And uh, we're going to kind of, that's really the only comment we had in relation to our chat room question. Um, what was the the penalty there? And he talks about um, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Um, uh, any other thoughts or comments on this section before we continue on? I think, I think in a broader sense, too, one thing I think about is that Paul is trying to say that people that deny God tend to kind of go down the same path, that once they've denied God, once they've made that decision to close their eyes to what's around them, they just tend to look at themselves. And, and I think really what he's saying is you become just a fleshly, natural person. That becomes what you pursue. That becomes what's important to you. And that in some ways, homosexuality represents one of several ultimate ends of that life, of the, I just live, the word we would use is hedonism. I just live for the pleasures of the flesh. Um, and I think that even playing some of that gender identity conversation is that there's a conversation where what we're trying to say is your identity is purely sexual. It's purely uh, your sexual identity is who you are. 
that there is no such thing as a spiritual identity, but instead your, uh, we use words like orientation, things like that. All of those push the idea that you're purely a sexual being, not a spiritual one. And that, that might be the bigger idea here in the context of you deny God and you deny, and I kind of go back again when he was talking about the Godhead and he said, that's something within you that's, that's you know, the, and I think he's just talking about the spiritual characteristics within us, that once we deny we're spiritual creatures, why not live for the flesh? Why not eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? These are all the characteristics that men go down and pretty soon that devolves into self-destruction, which I think is the rest of this chapter. And I think when we go back to the Old Testament, I think probably a lot of you guys are kind of want to even bring this in, that when you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, or you look at the Benjamites uh, in, in the book of Judges, that, that that kind of pursuit of hedonism results in a, a, a hate towards others that's self-destructive. I was kind of thinking, one last thought, and I'm, I'm sorry to keep going on this, John. I was thinking, though, that you look in the 20th century at those societies which, as a society, denied God. That, in other words, uh, they said to themselves, you know, there is no God. Let's just focus on men. You have fascism. You have communism. You have the Soviet Union. You have uh, Nazi Germany or fascist Italy. And these countries all ended up in such self-destructive concepts that that – that we look at, uh, you know, communist China, 30 million people dying, uh, you know, 20 million people dying under the Soviet Union's reign, uh, uh, Nazi Germany and the millions and millions that died there, that ultimately these societies end with with self-destruction. And I think that, again, that's an important idea that I think Paul is trying to say is that there's a natural path that once you deny God, once you look to the creation and decide not a creation, not a creator, that you end up going down a road that's utterly destructive. That's very, I, I think it's a, <clears throat> sorry, I think it's a very good point. It's kind of like uh, the proverb writer talks about with futility, you'll cast a net in front of a bird. But yet these people that run to excess writing, they are, they're running to their own Hello? demise. You know, Proverbs one, I yeah. think it is. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, you look at the high suicide rate, and and that high suicide yeah. rate rate right now is among homosexuals. And uh, ironically, that's tried to be blamed on on people who say don't do it, but uh, uh, there's there's an absolute uh, self destruction involved. See, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we are being misrepresented, the area in which we are being misrepresented. It has nothing to do with hating anyone. It's not. All right, it's all about living in sin you know it's and if, if you had a man who's cheating on his wife that's wrong if you've got a woman who's unscripturally married because she cheated on her her first husband well that's wrong you got two teenagers you know having relations together that's wrong if you got two men having relations that's wrong i mean it's it's all about what is sinful well, and John, it's not we about live the in person. A society now that doesn't want to call sin sin that's they true want to for something else that's true and and the fact of the matter is <laughs> we need to get back to the fire and brimstone and name it by name yeah and our attack is not on the person it is on oh, no, the no, deed the no, sin it's on the sin yeah and and right. therein as preachers we've got to make that distinction it's it, <laughs> i hesitate to say this because it opens up a dozen can of worms but we need to get back to where people understand we're condemning the sin not the sinner you know, and the old statement was, love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, we're in a society now that they're two and the same. Make that distinction and let them know. You know, I've dealt with men that claim to be homosexual and, and the gospel and put that away from themselves. I've dealt with men and women who were in adulterous situations. They put that behind. Those that have been addicted to alcohol, pornography, lying, mm -hmm. swearing, whatever. It becomes whatever sin is in your life, that's what you love more than God. And that's what has to be put to death. That's a very, very good way of saying that, Mike. You end up worshiping that, that more than you worship God. Yeah. Without that rule book, there's no line to draw. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. So, Which is the rest of the chapter that John needs to get to. I, yep. thought, I thought Brian did an excellent point. Yeah, sorry. I thought Brian did, did an excellent <laughs> job tying all of that together. Yeah. Here's exactly right. He created yes, he the world. Did. If you don't follow that, 
anything's possible. There is no guideline. That's right. That's right. Well, let's go ahead and um, let's move on unless there's any of the comments in the chat room that have popped up. I don't see any. So let's consider the final section here, verses 29 through 32. Let's kind of talk about the depravity of the lust there. And Paul, have you read yet? Yes. You have Tom. Do you have me to read if you need me to? Um, I think I have Tom. We'll share it over to Tom. If you would, Tom, verses 29 through 32, please. Oh, okay, yeah. And, and again, it's continuing with the idea of doing those things that are not fitting. He goes on and he says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality or fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. All righty. Thank you, Tom. So we do have a list a long list of various things that people have chosen to worship over worshiping God. And it is interesting, I think, that the very first one that he mentions here is that of unrighteousness, being filled with all unrighteousness. They're not filled with serving the Lord. They're not filled with the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. They're filled with all unrighteousness, and it guides the rest of their life. He begins with sexual immorality and he goes down through a whole list of things that could be sins of anger, um, sins of lusting after, sins of covetousness, the way we deal towards with other people, anger, wrath, and all those things, even, even to the point of being untrustworthy, unloving, undiscerning, unforgiving, even being disobedient to your parents, just a whole wide range. And what is interesting is he's saying this was the Gentiles without God. But yet, thankfully, because of the blood of Christ, they were able to be saved. Okay? And not in their sin, obviously, but the door was open unto them. But he, he shows how far they had fallen. Um, and not just in the deeds. Tom, verse 23, tell me what you think about, what are your thoughts on that verse? Because I really think it defines the level of, of, of how far they truly had fallen. You said verse 23? No, 32. My bad. 32. That's what I was going to say. My eyes crossed yeah. on me. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I mean, it, it goes to the point where, I mean, it, he makes the point there. They know the righteous judgment of God. Uh, and, and, uh, and I guess that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Maybe the point is, is they, they realize what God says about these types of things and how damaging they are. And I know there's debate, is that physical or spiritual? Uh, but he talks about those, they don't only do the same, but they approve of those who practice the same. And uh, that gets into a whole nother ball game, you know, dealing with the acceptance of ungodly and immoral behaviors. Uh, we're dealing with this today. Uh, the, uh, you could go into a discussion of tolerance here. Or, and, and and how I've made the point that we have uh, uh, we have the intolerance of the preachers of tolerance and, and uh, we're just seeing that in society today where where you know what you may not practice the same immoral lifestyle that I do they won't use the word immoral but you may not practice the same immoral lifestyle that I do but you need to at least accept it and 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 when they use the term tolerance they don't mean oh put up with me in my immoral lifestyle and don't beat me up and and don't treat treat me hatefully what they mean is you need to accept it yeah that's exactly right and that's why we can't you know. yeah it, it, exactly and 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 that's the point that Paul's driving home there yeah. is you have to uh uh uh, that that we cannot tolerate the lifestyle, you know, uh, and 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 it's not just enough to ignore ignore that others are doing it. We need to distance ourselves from that type of conduct. 
That's right. That's exactly right. All righty. Brian, I think I failed to introduce the chat room question. Or did I introduce that? Uh, Well, it's in there. So Okay, I don't know if I ever shared it. Uh, I can tell real quick. Nope, I didn't share it. Okay, so we will go ahead and pull our study to a close. Um, we are just past the top of the hour, and we've actually made it all the way down through um, the end of Romans chapter 1. And I know, like Tom said, there's more we could talk about. I personally think the death there is a spiritual death, but um, but it could be physical. I've, I've known some who hold to that idea as well. Uh, just showing the level of depravity they'd fall into. But Brian, any further thoughts or comments from you before we, um, as we start to pull this to a close? No, I, I no, nothing else. Some great comments have been made today. I appreciate it. Okay. And there, there is so much more in this text. It, we won't take the time to break down every sin. I don't think that was Paul's intent. But what Mike drove home a while ago is when we choose to worship the sin, and that's when we choose to walk away from God, and God will give us up to that. Yeah, Brian, any final thoughts or comments? Or Mike? <laughs> Sorry. No, I would simply very much caution our audiences. I caution myself. Let's make sure we love God and keep his commandments. That'll keep us away from these evils. That's right. Paul's ultimate message is going to be you can still be saved. But right yes. now he's showing how far man had fallen away from God. Yeah. That's right. Um, and let me point out, that's not just Gentiles here. That's, that's right. not just. So all mankind has fallen into these and other sins. And as we say, God still loves the sinner, but he won't accept the sin. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, Shelton, any final thoughts? No, I just think that, uh, you know, which I love, I love Romans one through three, one of my favorite scriptures to go through. It really does show how without God, people can become anything. You know, people can become any kind of evil. And I think that the deception with at least the sexual side of, of this chapter that we're seeing in today's culture, the deception comes from this being a place of love and acceptance uh, for, for outsiders and people who don't feel like they fit in. And, and you know, that, that can be a sad, a sad place to be. But for, for those people, understand that this is not a place of love and acceptance, but you know, like Brian mentioned with the suicide rate, this is a dark place. Yeah. My dad was a, a chief investigator, crime scene investigator for the Emmy's office for years. And the stuff that you see come out of the the homosexual or gender confused communities, it's dark. It, it's not love. It's not acceptance. It, it's darkness and evil and death and, and, and gruesome things. And uh, just keep in mind that the, the peace, the love, the joy, that comes from Christ. The deception and the deserving of death comes from these these types of deceitful lifestyles. I appreciate that, Shelton. It's a very good point. Good point. Uh, Paul, any final thoughts? <clears throat> well, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, and we have to choose whether we be, we will be filled with that righteousness or whether we be, be filled with unrighteousness. That's what we'll have to choose. That's right. Good point. And finally, Tom. Yeah, I, just building on what everybody said, you know, Paul emphasizes homosexuality as, as specific and then gives this long list. Uh, realize that all of us, more than likely, there is something we struggle with from a sinful yeah. aspect, virtually every one of us. And uh, uh, the key is, is, are we going to let it rule us or are we going to rule it? And, that's right. And, and, and that, that's really the bottom line. So we can make the application without going through everything in this list and just say, you know, if there's something that's sinful in your life, you, you, you got to find a way to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you got to turn to God to deal with it. That's and, right. and so that's, I think his point. And, but like you said, and like you said, you can deal with it. That's what chapters two and three is about. That's right. You can, no matter how far you fall and you can turn away and come back. Yeah. Not, and incidentally, that is simple to understand but not easy to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think God understands that. He looks to our heart. And that and that's where it all truly begins to change, but he he knows he yeah. Um Shelton real quick and then we're going to pull this to a study next by next Wednesday. Will you be in the still waters of Oklahoma? Yes, yes. We are a uh... 
We're moving to work with a, a small congregation there at East 6th Avenue Church of Christ in Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, home of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, which I have been fans of their rivals my whole life. So uh, that's going to be tough moving to the rival college town. But Paul said he was all things to all people, so I won't be flashing my Oklahoma University colors up there. <laughs> but, uh, but no, we are, we are very excited to work with those brethren there. They're good people. Uh, we've already been introduced to them several times and uh yeah by by next wednesday hopefully we'll be moved into the office up there so i'll be joining you from about an hour north <laughs> all right so hopefully all things being equal you'll be able to continue to stay with us in these studies yes. all right sounds superb well that's it folks next wednesday we will continue our study through the <laughs> book of acts <laughs> book of romans and we will be in romans chapter 2 Thank you so much for your time and your attention. If you have any questions or comments that maybe come up later, as Paul mentioned a while ago, you can send those to questions at truthfactorlive.com. Um, we definitely would love to hear from you. And that is next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone. 9 a.m. Pacific Time Zone. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And that's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.